welcome to episode 124 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Friday, September 15th, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's pretty good. I'm chipping away at my paleontology degree. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it feels like fall sunrise. Uh huh. Because it's middle of September now. And it, it, I, I'm smack so, middle. I love it. I want all the apple things. I want to knit all the sweaters. Mm hmm. The soups um, and they just had the uh, the modern Mrs. Darcy fall book preview, which that lady can sell some books. I wanted, I don't know, ninety percent of the books she talked about to be in my on my nightstand immediately. I'm worried that if I put them all into my library queue, they'll land it all at once. Right now, I have twenty seven books on my nightstand. Nice, twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, relatable. I can't actually put any books on hold anymore because I've maxed it out. So 27 sounds like a reasonable amount. And some of them don't come out until November, so they won't land all at once because they're not even out yet. But no Louise Penny until the spring. What's up with that? Hey, let's give Louise a little break. Come on. She, she had a whole year. I know. She's she's like a machine. <sighs> not like I don't have other things to read. All right. So yes. So we have lots to chat about this time on the needles, on the easel on the table and we will finally have our veg forward review i don't know if you guys have been waiting for it but i have been waiting for it so let's get excited about that and on the nightstand we'll probably do a little bingo wrap up at the end i know we gave out the prizes last time which we still need to send out we are we we've had some life things so we will we will get them to you i, I promise um, and they'll be delightful and worth the wait exactly and we should get started on the needles I'm wearing a finished object today. I hadn't figured out how I was going to talk about all my projects because it's been a little wild around here. Yeah, I had started a sweater last time, just started it, and it's already done, people. And it's beautiful. Thank you. Less than two weeks. To be fair, worsted weight wool, so pretty big, short sleeves, slightly cropped body, but oh my gosh. I, ad I'm I adore impressed. the cut of this. And the neckline is really superb, too. It's like all the cuffs, actually. I'm pretty pleased. So this is a coloring book, Raglan by Amy Schur. And the yarn I used is the Loop Fiber Studio Yin Yang. So contrasting, how do, how do you, the colors are swapped. There's, they're paired sets of yarn. So I have one. One has a more dominant color. And then the other one has the yeah. reverse. That's all. Yeah. So one is mostly black with a little bit of bright blue and then the other one is mostly bright blue with a little bit of black so it's a basic raglan sweater it's a little bit boxy a little bit cropped the sleeves come to right about elbow length i did have to make the body a little bit longer so i added a couple more stripes so there's big stripes on the body and on the sleeves the original pattern calls for i think she has three stripes of each color and then three stripes on the sleeve and i needed to add an extra stripe because I have a fairly long torso, so that I could only have two stripes on the sleeves, which is fine. It all worked out. It's very comfy. It's 
loose fitting enough that I am quite sure I can put a long sleeve t-shirt on underneath if I want or more even, sleeve coverage. It would be really cute with like a button down too, like a button down shirt. Oh, Just, yeah, yeah. For it, sure. It is made for layering if you wanted to. Yeah. It's super cute. It's a great cut. So the yarn is super soft. I washed it, blocked it. It's really, really nice. And it took me 13 days to knit. Thank you very much. And very, very flattering. It's just... Thanks. It's an adorable cut. Yeah, I did sweater. have to go into my swatch. And I, I had the scale out and was weighing the yarn as I knit. And that was how I knew I could only do two sleeve stripes. Because I think I finished the first two and was like, mm, yeah, that's, that's as far as I can go. So if I had done only the three stripes that it was originally called for, then I would have had more. So her yarn amounts that she called for were spot on because I used exactly what what they said in the pattern. And I really like this pattern. It was, I mean, it's it's a basic raglan, but it's very clearly written. And she has some variations. There's a long sleeve, longer body one. She has different color work treatments where the, the other one, you just do color work around the hems. So lots of options. I can go back and make myself another one that would look completely different. Do you change the needles for the cuffs? Yes. And actually, that was the other thing is because this is the one I actually swatched for. But as I was knitting, the swatch is always generally different from because then you're knitting the swatch flat. When you start knitting in the round, things change. And my problem that I realized I was getting stitch gauge, but not row gauge. So if I, Mm. I went up a needle size for the body just to make sure that my row gauge was Correct. More what I wanted because otherwise it would have been even shorter um, and taken more stripes to get to a length that I was comfortable with. So that was a little tricky, but overall, super fun project. I'm very excited. I love it. it. Yeah. And now I'm pondering what will be the next one. I pulled out this yarn that's very autumnal and is from before 2022. I'm pretty sure. 95% sure. But it's variegated. It's like a burgundy and chocolate brown and a dusty pinky gray business. And I think it's called Autumn in Paris or something. So really great for knitting in this season, but very busy. I'm definitely going to have to swatch just to see what it's going to look like. Because I was thinking I might need to mix it in with a solid color of some sort. But then I've got to figure out what solid just to tone down the, the variegation. But maybe it'll be like the hat that I knit. And it'll just look great on its own and won't have weird pooling. And I don't know. So we'll see. That one That one I haven't started yet, still playing with. But I am looking forward to that. That was not one of the many sweaters that were, I was thinking would be my next project. But that's the yarn that is calling to me now. So, so here we are. I've done some work on my Vanilla is the New Black Socks in the Knitpicks Felici Beyond the Wall, which is the medium gray and aqua striping. Where am I now? Oh, I started the second sock because we had back to school night and I needed to have something to work on, mostly just while listening to the the opening statement from the head of school and PGA president and all those people. So I've made a little bit of progress on that. My Rome shawl, which is the assigned pooling project, I have been working on that off and on just because it's in process and I can pull it out and start working on it in between other projects when I'm swatching or trying to figure out what I'm going to do next or haven't had time to wind yarn, which also happens. And then I also have another finished object too, actually. Christmas baby caps. 
you guys remember, this is my thing I do for the new babies in our family. They get sweaters when they're born, and then I make little Christmas hats for the holiday season. The pigskin party with Boston Jen and the Down Cellar Studio has started, and you get points for yardage. And so knitting things um, <laughs> quickly, I, I kind of wanted a quick win, get some some points in there. So I decided to knit the Christmas hats now. And the yarn I ordered was randomly one of the sponsor yarns, which I didn't realize when I ordered it. But then I was looking over the list and you get extra points for knitting with sponsor products. So that was kind of exciting. So I figured I'd go ahead, knit those, get them done. So I don't have to worry about them in November. So those are just super simple baby hats. It's a Susan B. Anderson pattern. Of course, I put pom-poms on the top because they're adorable. So the yarn is from Nicole C. Mendez. It's her soft sock DK in the colorway favorite time of the year. And it's aqua, a green, a red, and a white stripe. So obviously Christmassy, but with a little bit of the blue makes it a little bit different. Super cute, very tiny baby hats. Take no time at all. So I was excited about that. And then, yeah, I just had to be starting stuff, apparently. Husband's birthday is coming up. I have most of his gifts planned, but I decided he needed socks. <laughs> and I have... Need is... Well, I haven't made him socks in a while. Really? Yeah, I've been knitting for myself, mostly. I mean, spring, maybe? I think it's been longer than that, though. And I have, <laughs> I have just enough time that if I really apply myself, I can get them done. I can give them half done socks. You can it's give not them, like, yeah, the yeah. promise of socks. <laughs> yes, most most of the way I have a pair of socks. But I decided because mostly what I've done the past, I don't know, 10 pairs I've made for him have just been plain Jane, basic socks in self-striping yarn. So they're fun to wear, but not, not a pattern, uh, textured pattern or anything. So I decided I'd change it up a little. Maybe get a few more points for the pigskin party. So I'm using a sponsor pattern, the Lamino Socks by Sarah Jordan. And it's this really cool cable-y pattern. And it, so it almost looks like, I want to say donut holes all over the front of the sock, which sounds weird, but they're all interlocked. It's just a really nice textured one. And I dug around in my stash and I found this Tweety yarn from Archaic Fibers in the colorway Let the Great World Spin, which is kind of a blue green no it's a brown really yeah i know i think i had bought it for him i think it was from stitches either 2018 or 2019 but it, i had not put it in my stash which whew, usually i'm really librarian-ish about that and everything immediately goes into my ravelry stash oh i see why you would think it'd be blue blue green because of yeah no naming it's brownish yeah don't these people need to consult with me? I don't know. Yeah. No, it's a brown Tweety. It does have like little bits of blue, but very tiny. It's a really nice tonal colorway plus the Tweety bits. I wanted something that was more textured and, and not so much a pattern that would get lost in the Tweety bits. I feel like with the tonal and the Tweed, the texture will show up and be interesting without getting lost. So we will see what happens with those. It's a pretty fun pattern, you know, It's and it's short enough. I think it's an eight row repeat. So it's one of those ones where you keep thinking, oh, I'll just do one more row. I'll just, I'll just finish this section. I'll just finish the next section. So it, it really keeps you motivated to, to keep knitting just a little bit more. It keeps you motivated. <laughs> well, yes, fair. I feel like there are a lot of... Although even I want to knit in this weather. 
Right? Yeah. It's very, it's, it's very knit worthy weather. It's, it's knit worthy is right. Yeah. I fog this morning. Oh my gosh, people. Yeah. So that's what I've been working on. I've uh, definitely playing around with trying to get those points for the pigskin party. And, and I know some of you were on my team. So hello. That's been fun to see people over there. It's such a fun community. If you haven't started, but we're thinking about joining, you can still join. It's a super chill knit along. You can be very intense about it, or you can just knit whatever you want to knit and get a few points or just hang out and chat with people. So there's that too. So that is what I have been doing. How about you? Well, given this, this chilly atmosphere that we're experiencing, it makes me want to sew too. I did look at my bag of yarn from Stitches and contemplated putting something on the needles, but I do have some unfinished objects that need some attention as well. But thinking of Stitches reminded me that I had visited the Crocker Museum and saw the Alexander McQueen exhibit and something popped into, I think maybe my Pinterest feed that was this really interesting Alexander McQueen bag. Now, anybody who knows me in real life, I am not a fashionista, but I do very much appreciate handmade and quality. And so I'm drawn to certain things that have an interesting shape or an interesting association or story to it. The Alexander McQueen bag that caught my eye was one called the Demanta bag. And it's kind of echoes the shape of a manta ray. And I say that kind of in the, you know, it's, it's a fashion clutch. So it's, it's not going to be exact, but I love how it kind of has a folded fabric approach to it. And the flaps on the side come down to help make it look like the wings of a manta. And they fasten with inner magnetic closure And then the zippers, if you position them in the middle, they kind of look like eyes. I I am drawn to the animals and so, or the creatures, I should say. And so this bag has like just got my wheels turning. I'm not trying to copy a designer bag, but I'm definitely inspired by this bag. And so I am crafting something similar with some cheetah fabric that I found. Oh, that's cool fabric. It's very cool fabric. It's embroidered cheetahs and it's going to have leather accents on it with some scrap leather that I found at my reuse center. And I'm just trying to source zippers that I can make go in the middle and look like eyes. It might end up being two zippers like a butted in the middle, which isn't quite the same functionality, but again, I'm not trying to make a knockoff bag. I'm trying to make an inspired by bag. And I think it would be a super fun clutch for events this holiday season because the the bag has a dark green background and then the embroidered cheetahs, one is kind of a purplish pink and the other one is orange well, golden. So I'm going to try and find a brass double zipper for it. I just, 
These kinds of things excite me. I like to build with my hands sometimes, and this is the project that I need for my headspace right now. And so it's very exciting. If I had found one with dinosaurs, <laughs> I would be all over that. You have a vision. I do. I have a vision. Very and I'm cool. and I think that I think that the spirit is in the right place. I actually look to see like our designer bags copyrighted. You know, because I am very sensitive to copyright laws and I never want anybody to feel like I'm lifting something, you know, and I'm not trying to make full on copy. So I think this is totally going to be a Courtney bag that looks a lot like this funny Alexander McQueen (laughs) manta ray purse. Anyway, on the easel, though, I'm still working on all of the dinosaur stuff. My my mind is kind of blown that there's new dinosaur news every week. And I just think that that is delightful. I can't even tell you. Later on, when we're talking on the nightstand, I'll share a little bit more about the dinosaur stuff. But I've been consuming some content, let's just say, about different types of dinosaurs and how can I stretch them to work with the still life, the floral still lives that I've been doing? What liberties can I really take, you know, in terms of fur and feathers? Because they have found dinosaurs have feathers and fur or... Oh, I didn't know about the fur. Well, I don't know that that it's fur, but they look furry. It looks furry-ish. Oh, maybe. Who knows? I have not been doing the deep dive. Yeah. So I'm still playing around with that. And and I have a gigantic stack of children's dinosaur books because, like I said last time, but I'll tell you later about another source that I discovered that's just mind-blowing. I also painted the tiniest typewriter for our library branches tiny art show that's coming up in October. Oh, fun. It is three by three canvas, acrylic, uh, acrylic gouache on canvas. I painted such a tiny typewriter. I'm so proud of it. And I, I showed it to my husband and he said, that is such a Courtney on a wall full of little canvases, I would know that one was yours. So I feel like I really uh, put my put myself into this tiny canvas. It's so small. And what I'm really excited about is finishing, well, I'd like to make more headway in the one for my son, but then having this little three by three next to this 30 by 40, I think that will be, that's going to be the photo of the year for yeah. me are those two side by side. So that is still in sketch process, the big canvas. But I have been looking at some art out and about my process going into this. It's kind of a wild nature scene, but it's going to have a lot of little details. Instead of getting lost in the detail from the get-go, I'm going to try to use the biggest brushes I have for as long as I can in the process and then work my way down into the details. And I think that will help me from getting too finite from the start. My other thought was I should grid it off into eight by 10 sections and then just work on different grids of it. But for harmony's sake, I think it would be better if I went at it like climbing a mountain and just jumped in. 
Would it be helpful to do a smaller version first? Um, paint it, you mean? Yeah. Maybe. Just to see how you want to approach it. So I think you know I probably you're... will. I've been like working on the sketches, trying to get the sketches to get them so that I can scale them up. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. I should probably paint one of the sketches. I, I thought about doing that for color harmony mostly Mm. so that I knew which colors I was going to use. And this is one because it is so big. I think when I paint something smaller scale, like eight by 10 or nine by 12, whatever, which is kind of big for me normally, but it's easy to have color harmony because your palette is right there and you're using those colors all over the whole thing. Since this is so big, I have to be a lot more deliberate about the color or it's going to look like a hot mess. Yeah. And that's not what I'm going for. It's not? No. No. Okay. Good to know. Good to have that vision. (laughs) Not a hot mess. What do I want from this? Not a hot mess. All right. I like it. Oh, a little bit of a rewind. Did I I tell you there's going to be a Bay Area yarn crawl in March? No. Yes. Tell me more. I... I can't remember the details, but all over the Bay Area, like 25 stores. I think it's going to last two weekends and the week in between. So you have time to visit all of them. Should be amazing. You want to do it or part of it? Well, yeah, obviously. Okay. I think, you know, it's part of the response to no more stitches. So it's that that time of year and all the shops that would, you know, normally participate. So I think they've just started. They're planning it. But yeah, I was kind of excited to see that. So I'll keep an eye on that and we will see what happens. Very That's fun. kind of exciting to have yeah. that locally because we haven't ever had one. There's a one yarn. up in the wine country. There's right. one in the Sierra Nevada has one, but we have not. I guess because, you know, we had stitches. And that will allow us to plan out some fun lunches. Exactly. And maybe a fabric store or... Yeah. And what great opportunities. In a bookstore. Yeah. For paint. Yeah. So many options. Yeah, there. I love it. Great. We could even do an overnight or two. Yeah. Okay. On the table, regular cooking will keep pretty short because we do have many things to say about the book Veg Forward. Last night, I made a salt and pepper eggplant, which <laughs> was a journey to get to this recipe. Jenny Rosenstark put it in her Dinner of Love Story newsletter, and she it was also part of a recipe quick weeknight fall recipes that she had on a cup of joe website that she contributes to and it's a hetty mckinnon recipe so she has a complete version of it on her website so there's a couple different options for seeing this recipe there's links in the show notes it was delicious even Boy too, who does not like eggplant. I made shrimp for him because I know he doesn't really like eggplant. I said, why don't you just try it? Because my husband was like, oh my gosh, this is really good. I was like, you should just try it. And you don't normally like eggplant. Just make sure. And he was like, oh, this is actually good and had another bite. So can't ask for more than that. So it's super simple. You slice up the eggplant, uh, marinate it in soy sauce for a little bit. Ooh, yum. Fry it in some neutral oil. I mean, so obviously that, oh no, cornstarch first. Yes, I was going to yeah. say. I did the exact same thing as I was making it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I put the first two pieces in was like, wait a minute, there's supposed to be something else. Cornstarch, then you fry it, 
drain on paper towel, sprinkle with the easy version is Chinese five spice, salt and pepper. I mean, it's salt and pepper eggplant. The complete Hetty McKinnon version has a more complex spice profile. Serve it over rice with chopped scallions. And she had actual chopped chilies. I just threw some red pepper flakes on there and had chili crisp on the side for my extra spicy people. And it was really, I don't know if it was just because it was fried eggplant, (laughs) which I don't normally do. It was really tasty. The spice combo was good. It was nice with the rice. I was kind of worried about there not being a sauce, but it was delicious. Served it with some chard and uh, yeah. yeah, very easy, very quick. I think I might have to try eggplant again because remember I had that little allergic reaction because I ate an entire eggplant on my own. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might have just been too much eggplant. Maybe. Because whenever anybody talks about it, it sounds so delicious. Mm-hmm. And I miss it, that jammy, you know, when you let it cook down. and Yeah. Maybe that was, I think it might be the texture that the boy does not appreciate. And so when it was fried, it was a little bit more crispy and yeah. firm and had a little... Texture is important. Yeah. Thumbs up on this one. Did you have anything? I do. I have a couple things. I have a win and a fail. You ready? I made mini shrimp tostadas for a dinner party. This is... It sounds very fancy. Not even a recipe. I used the oven roasted, oven broiled, I should say, shrimp recipe from How to Cook Everything, the Shrimp My Way, which is just shrimp with paprika and cumin and salt and pepper and maybe some garlic Mm. seasoning. And then you just put it under the broiler. I flip it. He doesn't, but I flip it. So I had the shrimp and then I made some guacamole and then I used tortilla chips <laughs> and assembled them and you know what they were great oh so you had like a shrimp on a tortilla ch- oh so they were mini to like mini appetizer status appetizer nice. style the only thing that i would do differently next time is maybe do our friends don't like cilantro mm. so i would do maybe chives or something because they needed like just a little Need color yeah. yeah that was my baby win my major giant fail. So as you know, I have been trying to find a good swap out for the condensed, sweet and condensed milk for a lot of these like bars and key lime pie and it's just too much sugar. So I asked my husband who was doing the shopping that weekend to get me a couple cans of evaporated milk, which has a fraction of the sugar. And so By weight, I added a quarter cup of sugar to the recipe to make up for the loss of sweetness. And I made the citrus pie bars from 100 cookies. This was a fail. (laughs) This never set up properly. And then I tried to let it cook a little bit longer. And then it was weird and disgusting. (laughs) It wasn't a disgusting taste. It was texture. Texture was the problem. I threw them out, which is saying something in my house. So that doesn't work. I went back to the drawing board and I think I probably could have used heavy whipping cream instead of the sweetened or the evaporated milk. 
or sweetened condensed milk. But then the other thing that I saw was that maybe coconut cream would have been a better swap. I just don't know what the sugar is in coconut cream. So I'm still on this journey. Ugh. Very frustrating. I ended up making a whole other dessert. I don't even remember what it was. Nothing special, like a crumble berry crumb something. That sounds delicious. I was really disappointed that yeah. it wasn't a slam dunk. So on stay to, tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. On to Veg Forward. Uh, yeah, so as you may have guessed, we like this book. It is by Susan Spungen. She's been at this cookbook business for a very long time, has many great books out there. This one is just what it says. It is vegetable forward. There are not meat dishes, but there are some where like there'll be pancetta in it or, you know, there is there is a little bit of meat happening. Generally not, though. It is generally very vegetable based. It is seasonal. So there is a section for each season, mostly savory dishes, but there are one, two, or three desserts at the end of each section. And at the very end, there's uh, an essentials section, which is basics and also some of her fancy like salsas and items like that. I really like the essentials section. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's got some good sauces. I will yeah. tell you that. And uh, that focaccia bread. Well, not for us, but yeah, <laughs> it looked good. Yeah, I think that's my only problem is a lot of them were like toasts or pastas. And I mean, I can I can mess with the pastas, but like a clafouti is really tricky for me, but I persevered. I did a few from spring, mostly from summer and had a couple fall ones as well. Winter, I've not gotten into at all, but it looks like there's some deliciousness that will happen there. I think I have mostly summer and fall and one or two winter ones. Oh, great. So I don't think I have anything from... S yeah, I think I got my book a little bit before you. So it was still, it was the end of spring. So one of the first things that I made was the warm weather farro bowls with grilled tofu. I mean, it's basically a bowl. I swapped out brown rice for the farro because gluten-freeness. The tofu I broiled instead of grilled because city living. The tofu was great. You slather it with barbecue sauce, dip it in a spice mix, and then either grill it or broil it. It made it nice and firm and tasty. And I would never have thought of making a barbecue tofu. So that was really fun. And then, you know, all your lovely spring vegetables. This one also called for a roasted tomato vinaigrette, which was fantastic. And she has that in the in the essentials section calls for it in a couple of other recipes, roasted tomatoes, and then you marinate them with garlic and oil. And there's probably some, no, I don't even know if there's a, I think the tomato might just be the vinegar and then push it through a sieve. And you've got this amazing tomato vinaigrette that was super delicious. Yum. And so you didn't have any spring ones. Um, no, I did have the sort of, there's a, a buttermilk feta dressing on her mm -hmm. little gem and radish salad. And I just made the dressing and put it on one of my temple lunch salads one right. day. I love feta cheese. So it was a super easy dressing for me to make. Yeah. My my guys don't love a thick, creamy dressing. So that was, that was just for me. Treat for yourself. But it's excellent. It was excellent dressing. Yeah, the, she had a sunflower seed dressing that mm. went with a kale and snap pea salad, and that was fun, too. And I think that's the other thing about this book is they're definitely, they're full recipes, but you can absolutely pull a lot of things absolutely. out of them. So it's very flexible. For this spring, one of the ones that are still on my to-be-made list, 
the grilled pizzas with whipped ricotta and roasted radishes. One of the options in my produce box is usually uh, the French breakfast radishes, something like that. And I would, I'd never order them because I had no idea what to do with them. And nobody in my house is terribly into radishes, but I really want to try that next year because I think that would be delicious and would probably mellow it out. So summer is where we went through most of our recipes. Any standouts there for you? Absolutely loved, my whole household loved the smoky corn salad. Oh, I, oh, that's right. We talked about that a little we bit. Made it, yeah. I made it twice because we loved it so much. The first time I didn't have cilantro and it, it kind of needs it. This was the one where I roasted the corn. I have a grill in between my cooktop, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. that I never use. But I had wrapped the corn, the buttery salted corn and cooked it. My whole house smelled like barbecue corn. It was awesome. And it did get smoky and charred. Oh, nice. So I was really thrilled with the result, even inside the tinfoil. It took a little longer than it would have on a regular grill, I think. But the result was just spectacular. It's a really summery salad. It's meant to be a side, but I kept like I mixed it into a salad the next day, the leftovers of it. I tossed some of it on some pasta. It's really versatile. You can eat it on its own, but it's also great on other things. That was one of the big wins from the summer section. What did you have for a win from there? The biggest one was the zucchini carpaccio, which I also Mm -hmm. had to talk about. That one you Thinly slice the zucchini, cut the corn off the cob, marinate it all in oil and vinegar and, you know, kind of usual sort of thing, but add some mint and dill. And she has her own uh, duca blend. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. Um, So a seed blend that you toast them all up, grind them. So this one was pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds, cumin and sesame seeds as well. Really simple, but you could obviously use that on other things as well. It just added that nice texture contrast. I think the official recipe calls for squash blossoms, which yeah, that didn't happen in my house, but it certainly could. And it looks very pretty in the picture. And then the other one, we did the tahini peach cobbler. I I thought we needed to do one of the dessert ones. And that one sounded pretty good. I think I actually used nectarines because I don't like the fuzziness of the peaches. But yeah, so it's a basic cobbler but with some tahini in there, which adds this really interesting background note that that you can't quite tell what it is. I mean, it's almost peanut buttery because it's sesame, but it was really interesting. And that went very quickly in our household. And I was pretty excited about that. We made the peach, we, I made the peach (laughs) almond galette because the peaches were really, really beautiful. And I, it, it doesn't call for peeling them, but I have the same problem. Even though I love peaches, I don't love the skins baked into anything. And so I did the boiling water, ice water technique to peel them. Mm -hmm. I loved the peach galette, full stop. My family thought that the peaches were really slimy. It is a texture thing. Yeah, when you bake them. Yeah. However... The crust for this Mm. was mind-blowingly good. It has Mm. almond flour in it, Uh. and it is is an amazing crust that I will utilize for other things for sure, because it was so delicious. And people were kind of just eating the crust in the end, like leaving me the peach. Fair enough. She likes to experiment with her crusts. I made the heirloom tomato tart, which calls for regular flour and rye flour. I just use gluten-free flour just, you know, because that's what we need, which was fine. But I did think it was interesting that she had that 
that I, I love the rye. I yeah. I keep it in the freezer. I use it in other things too. Yeah, so I thought and some thyme and goat cheese in that as well. That was a really nice one. The crust is the only thing cooked, and then you make a blend of goat cheese and ricotta and spread that on the cooled crust, which make sure you remember that the crust needs to cool so that your your spread doesn't continue to spread as it melts. And then just gorgeous fresh tomatoes on top. And that was pretty We had such pretty a tasty. short heirloom tomato season this year that I had kind of put it off. And then I saw that the tomatoes were in last weekend. I think I missed my window. That's one that I'll circle back around to. But I did do, speaking of tomatoes, the Sun Gold Spaghetti Carbonara. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of tomato recipes. If you like tomatoes and want things to do with them, this is an excellent book. Absolutely. Her spaghetti carbonara is really similar to the one that I love from the New York Times. And I thought it was brilliant to do the oven roasted. I did an oven roasted tomato, which is in the back in the essentials section, how to oven roast. And I just did little cherry ones. I don't think they were sun gold, just whatever I could get my hands on. I think it it does kind of cut through the richness of the carbonara that just jammy. I love a texture of an oven roasted tomato. So I thought it was delicious. The kids ate a couple of them and then devoured the carbonara, which is typical. Fair enough. Yeah. Does the recipe call for oven roasting them or was that a you? No. Okay, I was going to say that was a I, me thing. I feel like in the picture they're, they're plump looking. Yeah, they're fresh in the picture, but I felt like the yeah. texture would benefit from oven roasting. So sure. that is what I did. Nice. One of our recent ones was the grilled Savoy cabbage wedges with the spicy Thai-inspired dressing, which was delicious. I don't know if anybody in my house was super excited about the cabbage. It was roasted cabbage. I mean, I like the crispy bits, but the dressing was really nice. I was worried that it was going to be too spicy for me. It just hit that perfect amount of, wow, it's here, but it's not overwhelming. So it had the sriracha and then cilantro and mint and scallions and peanuts all scattered on the top as well. The dressing absolutely could be used for other things. And, you know, if I find myself with more cabbage, that is definitely a way a way to go. And I serve that with rice noodles. I can't remember what I gave my husband as a, a protein thing, but something. Um, but that one, definitely keeping... That's on my list. In fact, yeah. I have the head. Every time I open the fridge, the head is staring at me, so... <laughs> I really need to, I need to do that one this weekend. Yeah. I think you could, you could, if you had super spicy people, you could, you could up the spice level a bit, but for me, it was delicious. Good to know. Yeah. Did you have any other summer ones? I had one more that was, again, I pulled bits and pieces of it out. I was looking through it and there was the double buckwheat noodle salad with green beans and broccolini. And I had green beans that I wanted something to do with. I don't think I had the broccolini and I didn't want a whole pasta salad, but it had a nice vinaigrette on it that I thought would be good as well as for the double. So it was buckwheat noodles, but also toasted kasha, which is the buckwheat groats, which are gluten-free, even though it says wheat. So I toasted those up and threw them on my green beans with the vinaigrette as well as some chili crisp for my people. Excellent. Um, And herbs and scallions. And so it was a nice little... Zing for the green beans, something that I, I mean, you get the texture with the kasha and it was just really nice, easy, different, all those, those words that I love. So that was, that was a good one. And I think it would be really good with the noodle salad as a full thing, but this was nice as a side for the weeknight. 
and there's still a bunch that I did not get to the Arborio stuffed tomatoes, the spoon bread stuffed polano. I was waiting for the tomatoes for that one too. Yeah. And the tomato water, I am very intrigued by the tomato water stuff and the radicchio endive and quinoa salad with roasted cherries. I think I'm going to save that one for next year because kiddo will definitely not, he does not like radicchio, which is fine. We did make the chocolate zucchini bread. How was that? Is it that, was so good. And that was a summer one as well? It was a summer one that makes for sense. the, zucchini, yeah. you know, abundance of yeah. zucchini. It uses a fair amount. I mean, you're not going to put a dent in your zucchini population by making this bread. However, I have a kid who does not care for zucchini. And so I made this bread and it comes out very chocolatey looking in appearance and it has chocolate chips in it. Oh, well. So there's that. And so I made the bread and the house smelled amazing. He said oh, can I have a slice of this? And I gave him a slice and it was kind of dark in the dining room. He ate it and he loved it. And I said, that's chocolate zucchini bread. And he just kind of looked at me and asked for seconds. And I said, that's more zucchini than you've ever eaten in your entire life. It's like when they were little and they had all those books for sneaking vegetables. Yeah. But you told him. And I forgot the vanilla extract, which I almost never do, but I was a little bit distracted. And this was excellent. So it will be even better when I make it next time. Right. With the vanilla. All right. For fall, I did the cauliflower pepita tacos with avocado crema. I have all the ingredients for that guy in my fridge. It's good. I mean, it's... It it felt like one of her more basic ones. The winner there was the salsa mac matcha maca i don't speak spanish which is what she calls mexican chili crisp my people thought they'd died and gone to heaven they were so happy simon was putting it on everything all week digging the last little bits out of the jar wow he loved it so it's dried chilies the only thing my store had was dried chipotles which was not one of the like five options she gave it was fine i think it was just a smokier flavor and obviously my people were fine with it and you soak them i think you drink i forget exactly what you do but there's chopped up peanuts in it you blend it all up still has texture it was really good and my other one was a sauce as well yep the green tahini yogurt sauce was the other one i made which was i had kind of skipped over it but then it was mentioned in like two other food newsletters that i get Everybody was really into it. So I made it as a side. I was doing like a tapas night. The recipe she has it with is cauliflower with chickpeas and frika. I think, I I don't know, I had vegetables and things. So it's got the yogurt and tons of herbs, scallions, tahini, lemon juice. And you can put it on so many things. It was, that one was really good as well. Excellent. What were your fall ones? I had the mushroom risotto because I am always here for the mushrooms and the risotto. It was... It was really great. I am still trying to figure out how to get more. I could have used with double the Mm. mushroom. And that is a Courtney thing, I think. I am still contemplating, could I slow roast the mushrooms? How to get more oomph out of the mushroom. I loved this recipe. I thought it was really clear. A risotto doesn't intimidate me. It doesn't. I just like kept stirring it. Not. I wasn't standing there, but you know would do something, put the dishes away, come back, stir it, stir it, add some stock. Very straightforward. And then the next day I made the 
mushroom. I call them arancini. I forget what she calls it. The risotto cakes. She recommends fontina or mozzarella. I wish I had gone with mozzarella because I think I just, I had a Dutch fontina in the fridge and I was just going to use that, but it wasn't quite right for me with the mushrooms. Mm. I also just prefer goat cheese Mm. and I think it would have been excellent with goat cheese. Again, super easy. There were tons of leftovers, so it was worth it to do a few. I had just made some of the uh, arancini for a little side with my lunch. You know, I didn't go whole hog and make 58 of them, which I thought was rather disciplined of me. But I'm still I'm still interested in how to eke more out of the mushroom. And then I made the pinkalicious pasta. Oh, that's right. Which I thought was winter, but it's really fall. So this is a, a very pink picture. It is. Mine was more red. So this is a a pasta that has a beet and hazelnut pesto. And it is awesome. I loved the beet hazelnut pesto. I put some of it on bread the next day. I nearly single-handedly ate the pasta because my people weren't crazy about the hazelnuts, let's say. I thought it was superb, and this will be one that maybe I repeat just for me. I thought your people weren't into beets. Nope, they aren't, but I really wanted to make this, okay. and I thought I would have it for my lunches, and I you gave... You could invite me over for lunch. Okay, will do. That was that was one of my... That was kind of one of my favorites from the cookbook. It just... We had a crazy moment after it. And so I've sort of lost track of the rest of, I don't even remember what I served it with. But I do know that that makes a very solid and excellent and extra pesto that you could do a lot of different things with. Mm. I thought it was really tasty. Again, might be good with some goat cheese. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, beets and goat cheese is classic. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely some fall ones I still want to get into, the red lentil and vegetable soup with the crispy spice chickpeas and the roasted and raw Brussels sprouts salad. And I do have some sprouts in my uh, my fridge from my produce box this week, so. I want to make that butternut squash gnocchi. Oh, yeah, that looked pretty good, too. Yeah. That. I mean, there was a lot of things that looked really good. Yeah, absolutely. And you made some winter ones as well? Well, I thought I did, but I remembered wrong. I sourced and bought the Japanese sweet potatoes for that. Oh, yeah. The smashed sweet potato with nori recipe. Mm-hmm. So I have everything for that so I can make them this weekend and I'll report back next nice. time. Yeah, I think it's a super fun book. I think it it's a recipe book that you can absolutely pull bits and pieces out of. So it's not that you have to follow the recipes, but you can because they look good. There's a ton of pictures, which is always really nice. And... To echo what you said at the beginning, the essentials section in the back, I used several times. Like I said, this was a crazy week for us. And so I'm still, I still have four or five recipes that are ready to rock and roll. Like I have all the ingredients for the pull apart focaccia bread, the okonomiyaki, that pancake one. Have you never made that before? I have, but I like, I like the look of hers. I want to try hers, yeah. Her tomato sauce is a really great tomato sauce. She's got a bechamel in there. The green tahini yogurt everything sauce. I think that would be good for like a football weekend. Yeah, and it's a nice mix of super simple ones that are barely even recipes and then some more complicated things that maybe if you have a weekend and you want to 
take some time and spend it in the kitchen, then you could do that. But I don't think any of it is terribly complicated. No, no. And I'm excited for that, for the cauliflower taco one too. I'm going to put meat in that one. Oh yeah. I a hundred (laughs) percent also bought some carnitas and yeah, we had, we had options with our, our but I love cauliflower and especially oven roasted. So I'm excited to, but if you can make the salsa as well. Okay. Noted. Yeah. I think I will still continue there. There's several that I want to experience. So I will probably be talking about this a little bit more as we roll through the for sure the season. Yeah. Yeah. So two thumbs up. Yeah, totally. Let us know if you've made anything from it or if you make some stuff in the future and, and what other recipes we should try from that. Okay. On the nightstand. Okay, here we go. My Kinsey Milhone update. I listened to O is for Outlaw and P is for Peril. Is that her name? Soup by Sue Grafton. <laughs> Sorry, my I've been reading it so much. It just looked it looked weird. Looked weird. Two good books. O is for Outlaw. She gets some information about her first ex-husband and is trying to find him. And then a few days later, cops show up at her door saying that he is in ICU and has been shot using a gun that is registered in Kinsey's name. What is going on here? And then P is for Peril. A woman's ex-husband is missing, and she thinks the police are not doing enough, and would Kinsey please look into it? That one was kind of dark and weird, and also my recording kept skipping, like, chapters, so that was confusing. (laughs) And that one had a weird ending. I don't know how I feel about that version. Oh, was Varala, I liked much more. Also, if you'll remember, like, two books ago, when I said I was worried that they were going to switch readers on me, they switched readers on (laughs) me. No explanation why. Oh, no. Her regular reading voice is very similar to the previous reader. Oh, interesting. So that part's okay. Some of her voices that she does for the other characters, I find kind of annoying, but whatever. There was also a note at the beginning from the author about the fact that, yes, I realize it is currently 1999. Kinsey is still living in 1986. Deal with it, people. (laughs) Which I thought was hilarious. Also, we get another scene where Kinsey is knitting and whoever, I don't know if it's Sue Grafton or she has, you know, a knitting reader editor person because it was real knitting. She sees someone who has a bunch of drop stitches and she says, oh, if you have a crochet hook in your bag, I can pick up the stitches for you. And so she's chatting and picking up stitches. It was awesome. So, oh my gosh. If I didn't already love Kinsey, here's another reason she is a knitter. So working my way through. We'll see what happens in the next one. That's a magic trick, by the way, like picking up stitches. I always do it wrong. It's tricky. Yeah, I agree. Crochet hook is definitely the way to go. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so then two other audio books. These were both very short, so like, don't be alarmed. Like one was two hours, one was four hours. So it was oh my gosh, barely even a book, really. So the first one was Open Throat by Henry Hoke. Our narrator is a queer mountain lion living underneath the Hollywood Hills. So this was a little bit of a trip. It was ended up being really beautiful. Humans are awful is basically the takeaway. Not a happy ending, but a really touching, beautiful little story. And the narration was quite good. And then the other one is The Emissary by Yoko Tawada, translated by Margaret Mitsutani from Japanese. So this one I read because my son got a part in an opera that's based on this book. So I thought I should read it to see what the story was. And this is the four hour one. It takes place in a near future Japan. 
that has shut itself off from the rest of the world. Actually, all of the countries have shut themselves off from each other because of all the plagues and environmental disasters. And so everyone has decided that it's better if they just keep their problems to themselves. And Japan's problem is that the elderly are getting stronger and just continuing to live. And the children are all being born very old and gray and in poor health, but they have this great wisdom about them. And so this is a story about Mume, who is a child. I think he's about seven and he's being raised by his great grandfather, Yashiro. And so we get both of their stories, what's going on you know, as Mume is growing up, we get Yoshiro's past, his childhood, uh, as he's raising his kids, how the changes that have gone on in the country. It sounds super depressing. And the blurbs promised that it was light and joyful. And I don't know that I would go that far, but it wasn't a super sad book. Mume is indeed very wise and funny. So there is a, a decent amount of humor. I will say there's not a ton of plot, which for an audiobook for me, I found myself kind of drifting away from what was happening. And so I needed to get to, to pay attention more and, you know, to remind myself to be listening and not just kind of like, la la la, I'm doing dishes. But it was it was a very interesting little story and intriguing. And I am interested to see how they're going to uh, turn it into an opera. That's so exciting. I'm, I'm very thrilled. excited. Yeah, he's pretty excited too. So then actual books, This Other Eden by Paul Hastings. This was long listed for the Booker Prize is why I picked it up as was a uh, study for obedience, which I talked about last time was on the long list as well. I don't think they've released the short list yet. This one is based on an actual island off the coast of Maine that was inhabited by a um, an integrated society. Uh, I think in real life, they came around the Civil War, either right before or right after. Um, and they lived this interracial life, very poor, very hard scrabble, until the state decided in the early 1900s that they were a threat to normal society. There's quotes and sarcasm in there. And evicted everyone, um, put some of the people in the main school for the feeble-minded, reburied the dead so the people wouldn't come back. It was not a good scene. So I went into this book thinking, oh, it's going to be super depressing. And it was a hard book to read. There's a lot of dark things that happen. And yet it was just like diving in to a pool of water. It was just amazing. I could not put it down. I kept wanting to get back to it. The writing was beautiful. He somehow made this really sad story at the ending. I mean, it's historical fiction. It's not nonfiction. It's not a history book. So he was able to play with things and gave it an ending that was still sad, but kind of hopeful. One of the kids ends up being an artist. So I kept thinking of you there. Oh, thank you. Because um, he gets off the island and they talk a lot about his art and how he's thinking about things and what he is looking at. So this was just a really amazing book. Highly recommend it. I also read Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo. Did you get that one yet? I know you were waiting it's, on it. It's one of the 27 on my nightstand. Oh, okay, yeah. This was um, really beautiful. This is her first adult book. Uh, she's written a bunch of young adult stories before, um, including The Poet X is the one I think she's best known for, which is a novel in verse, which was amazing. So I was excited to see what she did with this one. And it is the story of 
mostly a floor. She is one of four Dominican sisters. They have an older brother as well. And they're all living in New York City now. They're in their 70s. Their families are around them. Most of them have magical gifts. And Floor's gift is that she knows she can predict when someone is going to die. She uses this gift sparingly because obviously, you know, she doesn't like go up to people and predict. But if something <laughs> within the family is going to happen, she might let people know to get ready. So everyone's a little concerned when she decides she's going to have a wake for herself, even though she's still alive. She's kind of like, I want to have a party now. I don't want to wait. I want to celebrate life. Things have been hard for us lately. So everyone's kind of concerned. So the the story, it bounces back and forth between, I think we get all four sisters' viewpoints, two of the daughters, you know, we get their their backstories when they're still in the Dominican Republic, after they come to New York, all of the the threads that connect them and the the various traumas and tragedies, but the happiness and the the joys in their life. So it was a really beautiful story. You get a lot of Dominican culture as well. There's a lot of food. One of the the daughters is a chef, which oh, is fantastic, and she's vegan as well, so very interesting. So yeah, the love and support, but the the family inviting was really, it's just a great, great story. Really well done, and I think a great debut as an adult author for her. And then Watch Us Shine by Marissa de los Santos. This one in her continuing saga of this family in Virginia. I feel like her books are getting a little bit sweet for me. I do generally like a little bit of snap, but beautiful characters, beautiful stories. Cornelia, who has been a main character before, her mom, I think, has a stroke. So she has moved back home. Cornelia has had some personal trauma as well and needs to get out, wants to get out of her house to kind of recover from that. So she moves back in with her parents to help take care of her, her dad while her mom's in the hospital and help her mom with therapy etc. And while she's in the hospital, I guess there's a thing called sundowning, which is you're competent during the day, but at night, your mind starts to go. And so her mom starts telling her things. And she that don't make sense. And she realizes Cornelia realizes that there's a lot she doesn't know about her mom's life. Her dad says not my story to tell. So Cornelia starts investigating, trying to find out what happened in her mom's past, because she she really wants, she wants the Northern Lights. And it doesn't make any sense for this woman who has always lived in the South to be asking about this. So it, the, the timeline goes back and forth between her mom's story and Cornelia's reconnecting with her, her own family. It is really beautiful, but they are also all like very emotionally <laughs> mature, which is beautiful to read and inspirational. But also at some points you're like, nobody's like this. Really not. So we'll see. I've been reading these her books for years. I've read a few of them too, yeah. and I've I feel like they are kind of on the sweet side. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, um, when you're looking for that. Yeah, yeah. Not always what I'm looking for. In a similar vein, *Yerba Buena* by Nina Lacour. It's a story of Sarah and Emily. Sarah is from the Russian River. Runs away from home at 16 because of tragedy ends up in LA, ends up working, becoming a famous bartender and meets Emily at a restaurant. Emily is from Long Beach. So grows up in the LA area, kind of confused about what she wants to do with her life and is working as a florist at the restaurant. And they meet and their paths kind of, they, they just miss their moment. So then a lot of things happen. They later reconnect. 
So it's basically their story, but also their individual stories and becoming the people that basically growing up. I mean, they're in their 20s when this is happening, but reconciling with past traumas and figuring out what you want to do and how to be the person that you want to be and how to make that relationship work when you feel a deep connection, but you have personal issues that are maybe stopping you from connecting in the way you would like to. Again, really beautiful. And there's a restaurant and bartending, so lots of food and and all that goodness. But again, really sweet. I mean, a lot of tragedy as well, but I do like my romances with a little more snap, I gotta say. But I would definitely recommend this book for sure. Horse by Geraldine Brooks. Did you ever read this one? I don't think I have. You read March. Yes, for sure. Which I haven't read. This is the one of hers that I've read. Read this for book club. It was a great book club suggestion. It was hilarious because everybody liked this book, but we had so much to talk about because there are problems with it. So this is a story of a horse, the greatest ray horse horse in American history. Very short career right before the Civil War. We have the story of two uh, of an art history grad student and a scientist at the Smithsonian who are rediscovering the horse's history. And we get both of their viewpoints. We also have the story of the trainer who was an enslaved person with the horse through most of his history and a painter who is paints the horse several times as well as painting the the trainer. So you get all of these different viewpoints, you get a deep dive into the history, there's a little historical mystery because the modern people are trying to figure out what's going on with what you know, what are all these paintings and what's this skeleton and all these things related to the horse. But she throws in a lot of other things. I think part of it was the time when she was writing it and personal things that the author was going through. So there was almost too much going on. And you got kind of a superficial level of some things, mostly the racial issues that probably deserve a a deeper look than she was able to give them. But very entertaining, a really great story. You definitely cared about the horse and these people. So again, (laughs) it was really funny. We all gave it a thumbs up, would recommend it. But we had questions. The Last Ranger by Peter Heller. This is his latest. It is That's on my nightstand, too. <sighs> so fun. It's very much in the, the vein of the river or the guide. Ren Hopper is an enforcement ranger at Yellowstone, which means he is mostly in charge of dealing with tourists being stupid. But there are also poachers and, you know, people shooting wolves. And so he has to deal with a lot of things. And there has been kind of an uptick in that behavior that he is having to deal with. There is an attempted murder of his friend who's a wolf biologist. And so he's trying to deal with his own issues because of course he has some and also figure out what's going on, who is behind all of the the problems that are happening in the park. Plus it's Yellowstone. So you get lots of great nature descriptions. Awesome. Yeah. Very Western, very classic Peter Heller. Finally, Shark Heart by Emily Habeck. <sighs> okay, the story is going to sound really weird. <laughs> There's a couple, they get married, and then they find out that he is turning into a great white shark. I love it. It was amazing. And funnily enough, I know that's not a word. It's really sweet. It is so sincere. I think the author has a graduate degree in divinity. And so it's got that really beautiful tenderness to it, which I know I was just saying those other books were too sweet. Somehow it works in this one. Because it's got the weird. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It, it reminds me a lot of a prayer for the, the Becky Chambers one, a prayer for the time being. 
I don't know that. Um, oh, those are fabulous books. I got to see if book three has come out yet. It's just, I mean, they're just the, it's, yeah, it's got this weirdness and apparently turning into animals is a thing in this world. So they're, they're dealing with this trauma and, you know, they just thought their lives were starting together. They both were, you know, they were in their early thirties. So it took them a while to find each other. Lewis had lived on New York for a while. He wanted to be a Broadway star and now he's teaching drama at the local high school, which he's very fulfilled by but you know still has that dream that someday he's gonna make it Ren had a really hard childhood and so she's compensated by going to an Ivy League school and becoming a top finance person and so them finding each other is magical and took them so long and now this is happening it was it was really amazing I'm making my book club read this in the spring <laughs> even before I had read it I had heard that it was good for book clubs and so I'm very excited to to see what they will they will think about it it's it was it was beautiful awesome i can't wait to read it i love a weird book super weird speaking of books speaking of books i was on my mission to visit libraries and pick up dinosaur books and i went to a library that is not my usual spot and i was looking at their periodicals and they had a magazine called bookmarks which is published over in Berkeley. It has been there for 20 years. They've been publishing since 2002. It's a slim magazine that's full of book recommendations. And it's stuff that's been released this season, stuff that's coming out. But the fun stuff is they invite people to come and give their top 10 books. And that, what a cool set of lists that is, you know, just like seeing different different perspectives about what other people think is a must read. I think that this publication is a complete gem and I can't believe it took me 20 years to find it. So that's called Bookmarks cool. and it's available through our library. I'm not sure how to get the, like the most recent one through like when you're ordering online, but it's almost worth a, it, it, they publish every other month and it's worth driving to the other branch to get it. Hmm. It's available at like three branches. Okay. Okay. So three books for you, three real books. I read Jurassic Park. Oh, cool. By Michael Crichton. I've heard great things about yes, that. Yes. You may have heard a thing or two about that. There's like a whole franchise now. No, but the book. The book is yeah, awesome. That's what I've heard. We, we watched the movie and... I remember I took my brother to see this movie, you know, when he was like in middle school or maybe. And just I remember being in awe of it. And now watching it is slightly painful for a lot of different reasons, because you know that it's become this huge franchise now. But looking at the book and then comparing it to the movie was kind of an interesting exercise. The book is super fast paced science from the early 90s. So we know a little bit more now. I mean, like I said, we learn more about dinosaurs every week. And I I feel like the business side of it in the book was an interesting, it was an interesting take compared to how they treated it in the movie. It was a super fast read. I don't think I'm going to continue with the series because I've sort of gotten what I need out of it. 
than my other two books. I read Glaciers by Alexis M. Smith. Oh, the one I read? Yeah. I thought you had recommended it. A little short Um, one. It's a slim interior monologue of a young woman. I'm forgetting her name now. She is recalling her her youth in Alaska and her family has broken apart. It's these little vignettes of her looking back in time. You know, she's like mid-20s, I guess. I think the impression that I took away from it was the natural history of growing up in Alaska and being a part of that world and the natural world and then being a part of like a more modern urban world. I thought that was really beautiful. And she's struggling with a lot and it was it just felt very human. It was a really human novel. That's Glaciers. Then my book group. Okay, so this is a Courtney moment where I'm not I'm paying attention, but maybe too much. So somebody says, Oh, we're gonna read Exiles. And so I type into my phone Exiles. And then I got to talking about somebody else. And then later on, I was like, oh, yeah, I have to order that book. Well, I didn't realize that I ordered Exiles. And then I went home and they said, order Exile. So I ordered Exile. And so two books came, one called Exiles by Jane Harper, and the other one called Exile by Christine Baker Klein. Oh. Two separate books about Exiles in Australia. (laughs) All right, then. Which one was it? The Jane Harper? The book group one is the Christine Baker Klein. So in order to not mess this up, as I am wont to do, I'm just going to tell you about the Jane Harper one. Did you read both of them? I have only read The Dry. I didn't realize because I was like caught up in book group that this one is book three. So I missed book two. So it doesn't really matter. They're not. This is the... This is the Aaron Falk book three, and it's yeah. the final. But you, I mean, it's like, I know. you don't really need, there's nothing. But I'm curious, because yeah. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Um, the second one wasn't as good. Okay, good. So you're, you're okay. Great. Uh, what a time saver. This is a slow burn of a mystery, and it's told from multiple perspectives. And we've got Aaron Falk, who is... He's like a forensic accountant, right? Yes. And so he does criminal work, looks at crimes from a financial perspective. He follows the money. And this time it's taken him not really, I guess he's there for the for the mystery of it, but he's there for the anniversary of a crime. Yep. And he goes to the Australian wine country where a friend of his has been missing for a year. And so they're doing like, an annual plea to find out more information. She has left behind an an infant daughter and a teen daughter, two f- different fathers, and were meant to put the p- pieces together of this puzzle. I found this to be a really satisfying mystery. It was a very slow build, but I felt like the the environment called for it. It's a hot desert ish climate and the atmosphere that she brings to it was was really compelling and i was kind of surprised by this book i didn't put it together until it was coming unraveled i mean no one else did either so yeah clearly it was a really satisfying mystery i i wholly enjoyed it as far as mysteries go yeah that's it for me for books nice all right 
little bit of bingo just to finalize things because there was a bunch of bingo posts that came in in those last few days of the event and I made my epic breakfast so I got a blackout for my first time which was very exciting I don't know if it was that epic I used <laughs> I used the Trader Joe's ube pancake mix I made waffles they were delicious I also had their ube spread and I put I th- strawberries on it. I think epic is anything out of your ordinary. The fact that routine. I actually made a like fancy breakfast is yeah, epic, epic for me. I used to do it much more. We all get up at different times now. So if you yeah. make the waffles and they're just going to sit there and yeah. So I put some effort in. Congratulations. I didn't, I didn't find a different. Yeah. You know, I had a challenging book in the end there, which was a not a great way to wrap the whole thing, but I feel pretty good about my... It's very, very dark gray. It might not be a blackout, but it's <laughs> very, very dark gray. I mean, yeah, that's fair. Like my, I had a couple, my new genre, I was like, ah, I've read some things that are sort of weird for me. Yeah. I don't have a specific one. Yeah. So. And I am building um, to our bingo, our bingo winner and our our bird prize winner. I am building those packages. Life has thrown us a little curveball, but they will be on the way and I'll let you know when I get them in the mail so you can look for them. Yeah, so thanks again to everyone for playing. And if you have ideas, a couple of you have sent us ideas for squares for next year. Feel free to send those. We keep them and and then Courtney deals with them later (laughs) next year. I actually, you know what I do? I just write it on the back of my bingo card and Uh put it in my planner. Nice. And then when I pull out last year's to do next year's, it's all right there. Perfect. Yeah. So let us know if you have ideas. We're always open to suggestions. And uh, until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.